This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, Words as Words, with Linda Addison. Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. I'm Linda. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. I almost said four-time Stoker Award winner Linda Addison, well, and now I just did. Just go ahead and say it. Get it out of your system. That's, uh, so the, the title here, Words, words as Words, you mm. are, among many other things, a poet. I am. That's my first voice. I've got almost 300 in print. As a humorist, I find that picking the right exact word for the shape of the word, the sound of the word, the, I mean, the visual space that a word takes up on the page, that is as important as what the word means. And so when we say words as words, um, I'm thinking of them as, as objects unto themselves, exactly. independent of the meaning that they have. Exactly. I mean, each word to me... I'm sort of crazy for words. I actually like to do cold readings of other people's work because it makes me concentrate on each word, and I find a word can be quite delicious. When you say cold readings, reading aloud someone's work you've never read before? Correct. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, quite an experience, and I enjoy it because it's like a discovery, and you really have to slow down and really like catch each word and taste it and feel it and try to find the rhythm and the breaks. I like it. It's scary for some people, but I enjoy it. Yeah, it sounds it, it sounds wonderful. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan, I, you, I you love, had some poetry background. I, I love word choice, and uh, I've been trying to teach myself speed reading. Mm. You know, and one of the the basic principles there is that you don't sound it out in your head as you say it. You just kind of capture the meaning of it. Certainly, but there are certain authors, and and you know, all poetry in particular, that you can't do that. And you oh, have no. to slow down and you have to just really feel and taste those words as you're saying them. Truly. I mean, I speed read The New Yorker because it mm-hmm. comes every week. And I mean, if you don't speed read it, you end up with what I know some friends have is a column of magazines in the corner <laughs> to be read. Mm-hmm. But for me, poetry is to be read like a fine meal or a fine wine, one sip at a time within reason. Yeah. So now, now you describe uh, poetry as your first voice. What do you mean by that? I mean that I, as, as strange as it sounds, I'm always poetry's always going through my head all the time when I'm talking to people, when I'm looking at people, when I'm thinking, while I'm awake, sometimes when I'm asleep. And earlier, I thought, wow, there's something wrong. I probably need a brain scan. But now, <laughs> since I'm making money and winning awards with it, I'm like, forget that. Yeah, I'm okay with this. <laughs> okay, and 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 as a four-time Stoker winner uh, for your poetry, what is it that brought you to horror poetry in particular? Well, that's the interesting thing is that I don't necessarily consider my poetry horror. I mean, okay. it's not, it's it's not so much blood and guts as it's a little bit moody, psychological. It's not really so much horror. Maybe this doesn't fit anywhere else. But I read a lot. I read a lot of horror, and I have written stories and gotten them published. So I suppose that's where you know people started reading me, and that's how I ended up getting nominated for the award. But if you read my work, it's it's moody 
kind of shadow stuff, but it's not blood mm-hmm. and guts. So, all right. So uh, if now, now one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you here on the show is because we've never actually done an episode about poetry before, and so I know that we have listeners who are poets, and I want to get to them eventually. But first. <laughs> What advice can you give to, to our listeners who may not have ever considered poetry or, or who enjoy reading it but have never tried to write it? How can they get started? Well, I'm a big journal writer. I've, I have boxes and boxes of journals. I've been writing journals since 69. So I think either with your phone, which a lot of people use, or a little notebook, which I always have, just write down anything and everything that occurs to you, something that you overhear at the end of the night, thoughts that you have. When I do a new collection, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. I go back to my journals since the last collection, and I pull out little words and ideas and feelings, and then I build poems off of those. Also, you can just write something as you feel it. Don't think whether it's a poem or not. It may seem like a sentence. It can be reshaped into a poem. Mm-hmm. I mean, if words are words, then you could write, and I've done this. I've written stories and then turned them into poems. I've written poems that I then created stories out of. It's a matter of the form, like art. With poetry, you're creating an image with few words as possible, and an easy way to do that is you start taking words out. Take words out. So in rewrite, that's how you create the poem shape, is by taking words out for the most part, or changing the word that you're using in there. One of the tricks I use is that when I'm rewriting a poem, as I'm re- and I always read them out loud, because for me, that is where I can hear whether it's working or not. I might take a word that I have and totally switch it and replace it with another word. For example, if I'm using a soft word, find a hard word. Mm-hmm. So if I say something, something like satin, well, how would that feel if I said something, something like a razor? Mm. So in that way, you're creating a sort of somewhat startling image, a slightly different image, and it shakes up the mind. And to me, that's the point of poetry is to create a feeling, an image, or a flash of something. You know, one of my favorite examples of that uh, is uh, uh, lyrics from Cake, um, short skirt, long jacket. And, you know, one of the lines was, fingernails that shine like justice. And a voice that's dark like tinted glass. Like tinted glass. Exactly. I love that because it makes me see something that I couldn't have seen if you'd just described this person to me by telling me the color of her nail polish and, and the fact that she's, I, I guess, an alto? I don't know. Um, yeah. uh, when, I, when I'm writing humor, I have... I have a specific goal in mind. I'm trying to elicit a metabolic reaction uh, of laughter. And what I've found, you, you talked about, you know, substituting satin with a razor, um, taking a word that is full of sibilance, like, say, the word sibilance, and replacing it with a word that's full of, you know, bees and popping, you know, a bebop sort of word, uh, has a completely different flavor in the mouth and the contrast, we talked about meals. Okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm way off base here. No, no, but I'm, the, I'm, I'm with Picking you. the wine that goes with the food, picking the, the bebop that goes with the punchline is often the only way to make the punchline work. Exactly, and I think that's very true of poetry. And another big thing with it, and I'll, I'll give you an example, is that 
taking out even the most important word, can change something into a poem, into a more musical concept. For example, I had written something where, this is before to rewrite, some days life feels like flying in a plane, a huge metal impossibility. So that's the sentence. That's how I feel. That's what you write in a journal. So what I did is I'm doing these live poems on Twitter now, and I, it automatically goes to Facebook. So if you're a follower, you'll see them every day. What's your Twitter handle? Nightbird45. Nightbird45. 45, or just look up Linda I'll Addison. Put it, I'll, I just want to get it in the liner now. Yeah, I'll look up Linda Addison. So one of the live poems I wrote started with that sentence. What I did is I took the word life out. And that's the whole point of what I wrote. But by taking it out, it allows a space for people to read it to put whatever they want there. So what I put up as the life poem a couple of days ago was something more like, some days, it's like flying in a plane, large metal impossibility until it lands. A whole different sense of something when someone reads it, because now I'm not telling them what it is. It could be they're writing a book. It could be they're having a child. It could be getting married. It could be a job. It could be not wanting a job. Yeah, and well, removing the word life, you know, when you say some days life is like, what you are saying is some days my opinion of everything that I, of all existence is this. Removing that word during this day, what I am feeling is the impossibility of a the words you used, which I didn't remember. Um, and that's... <laughs> Flying in a plane and huge metal yeah. impossibility. And that's... Uh, I, love, I love that example because by removing the word life, you've stopped telegraphing the punch because anytime you say, you know, a life is like, I am expecting a contrast that's going to tell me something about life. Uh, you remove that, and now when I get to the huge metal impossibility, I'm experiencing one of those days where the brain chemistry is off or where it's just been a terrible day, but my head hit the pillow, pillow at the end of it anyway, and I'm still alive. Yeah, so as, I, as I've helped other, talk to other people about writing poetry, I say try these tricks. Try them, read it out loud, and see how it sounds now. Take out the main thing. When you write a poem take out the first and the last stanza because we have a tendency to over-explain. Take that out and see what you have left. And for me, I like poetry that allows a space for people to put their own breath, their own emotion. Mm -hmm. And I'm just creating somewhat of a framework, but it could be anything that they put there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, we're going to pause right here. Um, I wish we could keep talking about this for an hour and a half, but very quickly, since you introduced yourself to me as Linda by my book Addison, why don't you tell us where we can buy your book? Sure. Well, if you go to my site, lindaddisonpoet.com, I have links. Um, they're available on Amazon, on all the ebook things, Apple, and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And, a- and your most recent is? Well, the one that I was going to talk oh, about okay. that yes. I would mention is How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend, 
which is one of my least poetic cover titles. But it is very evocative. Very. And that was the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not an accident. And it's written, it's really science fiction, fantasy and horror. And it's actually a poem, a story, a poem, a story, because I wanted to, I actually intellectually created this book as a way to introduce people to my work, because not everyone wants to buy a whole book of poetry. Mm-hmm. And so this has got a little bit of everything in it, and, and it won a Bram Stoker, and people like it. And it's gotten good reviews. So I offer people this. If you buy it, you don't like it, I give you your money back. If you don't find one thing in there, so far, so good. Perfect. All right. And that book is called How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend by Linda Addison. Right. So Entertaining and yet instructional. Awesome. And I'm, I checked out your Twitter feed just now, Nightbird45, N-Y-T-E. Bird 45 was, uh, the, okay. the spelling had me tripped up at first. Um, <laughs> I want to I wanna talk a little more about, uh, about the limitations that you might place on yourself when selecting words. Uh, I find that when I'm writing fiction, at least, uh, there are words that just don't fit in character voice, even though it's the word that very much might best sell that punchline. Um, and often I find myself balancing between, well, how important is this word construct? Because it's important enough, I may have to change the whole scene in order to put somebody else here who will actually say those words. Um, what are the limitations that you as a poet put in place when you are selecting your words, when you're doing this writing? It's really kind of the other way. And that is that in time I found that I tended to use the same words because... That those images. So what I do is try to just use really different words. So it's not so much a limitation as, a much, as much as an expansion into the infinity oh, of words. Oh, that's absolutely a limitation. The limitation, <laughs> is, the limitation is I've used this word. Correct. I, I, this one's used up. I have to... I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. I, I do like to be aware if I've overused words and use something entirely different. My journal is a train wreck of overused words. Absolutely. And it should be. It should be only whatever you feel at the moment. No one's going to read the journal. You're not publishing mm-hmm. the journal. It's just to capture something for you to work with later. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a good point about poetry in general. I know a lot of people are very intimidated by it, especially if they've gone through high school English and they've had to learn all the different forms and sonnets and different kinds of things. Poetry does not have to be difficult, especially when you're just starting out. Write what you feel. Write what comes to mind. Write down words and sentences that you think are interesting. And don't worry about trying to conform to, you know, an outside structure or, or anything like that. True. And then I, you know, I, I can write all the different forms. I do like to play with forms. I have a BS in math and a lot of them are very mathematical. But I have been told that my poetry is very accessible and I like to think so. I can write a cerebral, that word, as anybody, but I also have work. I have a lot of work I think people just find interesting, fun, maybe a little so BS unsettling. So BS in math. You, yes. have a, you have a math background. I roomed True. with... Math and physics. I roomed with a couple of math majors, and uh, I remember one of them, his final exam was document the solution to the Rubik's Cube. Um, yeah. Does that does that language because it it is a language? It is. Does that inform the wordsmithing you do? 
It has influenced it greatly in the sense that I do like to experiment. So I have actually Michael Collins' book on, on poetry form. He's one of the guests here. And, and I find that his definition and examples of forms, they are quite mathematical, which is simply a way of defining the rhythm of a poem. And so I do like to play with those rhythms. And then when I sit down and write my own, I don't say, oh, I'm going to write a, a sonnet or I'm going to write this. I just let it sort of happen more organic unless I'm being asked to write something specific. So I like the um, mathematical breakdown, which is just a breakdown of rhythm. It's a good, it's a good way to get a different kind of sense of, of music. Yeah, I've, uh, well, I, I studied music, and I found that um, uh, the number of syllables and the placement of the accent in words was critically important towards making a punchline work. Sure. It, usually there is a word in a punchline or in the, the last line of the comic. There is a word that I want to put as close to the end as possible, which means structuring the sentence in a way that that word actually makes sense at the end and then restructuring it so the balance of that last line has a cadence that's funny. Yeah. And for me, it's very, you said organic. It's very seat of the pants for me. I don't have any math for it. I don't have any formula for it. I just know when it sounds right. Well, I think if you, if, if you play with it, which is what I've done when, when I first discovered sonnets, I said, okay, how is it? I broke it down. I wrote them. I practiced them. And then you, it becomes part of a subconscious rhythm that you can draw on. And so now when I write things, I've had people say, oh, this is a so-and-so. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. But it's not that I set up necessarily and said I'm going to write this particular thing. Haiku is slightly different. Haiku does have a very standard um, definition. But, you know, I've written enough of them that when I start writing them again, it's not something I necessarily have to count out. Our tagline is an accidental haiku. <laughs> and we found this out, I think, five years into the podcast. And I yeah. realized, oh, that must be why the tagline has been so effective. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and we're not that smart. <laughs> we wish we were smart enough oh to have gosh, done that I, on purpose. Yeah. It's um, good, though. I like it. <laughs> and but the, and I, I use it as, as an example, one, because our listeners are familiar with it, and two, because... Uh, Adhering to a form, even unconsciously, is effective for a reason. The form exists because it communicates things to us in a way that the meanings of the words don't. And that's why I think that I think poetry is more organic and normal for people than they want to admit, if they mm -hmm. allow themselves. Because it's like music. There's a reason for it, the original storytelling there had a certain cadence to it around the fire, yeah. you know, just like music. So it's a natural thing that we're just afraid of because we've been beating our head in school about it. You know, one, one of my favorite poems of all time is, again, an, another piece of found accidental poetry from a physics textbook. And thus no force, however great, can pull a chord, however fine, into a horizontal line that shall be absolutely straight. I like it. And Holy the, crap. The That's mathematician nice. who wrote that had no idea. That's just how we <laughs> talk. That's how we use words. And so we're, we're basically out of time, but I do want to, to end on this note, that as much as we've talked about poetry and as much as I love poetry, 
word choice and the music of words and thinking of words as words and not just as things that are there on the page, that applies to everything that you write, whether it's a short story or a novel or, you know, a giant Brandon Sanderson dog-killing novel, you know— the, the very specific it's words that you choose. It's not because they're choose. printed out of dogs. It's because if it falls <laughs> on the dog. As far as we know. You do know this is world horror. I'm not buying that it's not normal. <laughs> that it's normal at all. Okay. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. So, yes. Think about the words you're using and think about why you're using them and, you know, really try to, to get into that. So... You said that you had a little writing prompt to throw at us at the end. Always. <laughs> I mean, it may be something I end up building my life poem on today because I haven't done it yet, but it's, it's four words, and I would suggest playing with something that starts driving through the tears. I like it. All right, so there's your writing prompt. Dear listeners, you are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 